Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a happy Tuesday. And of course, Tuesday's always made happier at this time of day by my good friend and sage advisor, as far as I'm concerned. Guess who? Yeah. I know to you, I may look old. Hope this statement ain't too bold, but here comes the judge. 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 Yes, you are an advisor of sorts. Oh, you would you would love this conversation we had earlier. Uh, where there was a person on MSNBC who seemed shocked that the so-called Christian nationalists, as she calls them, they're the ones who actually believe that our rights come from God as opposed to from the government. I'm thinking, girl, have you ever read the Declaration of Independence? I thought this is right in your wheelhouse uh, because it's crazy that there are people who actually are roaming the earth who, who believe that our rights come from the government. It's crazy. Yeah. I did see that uh, one of my producers pointed it out to me and I ripped into her. I don't know what the what the problem is. Anyway, good morning, yeah. Jamie. It's yeah. always a pleasure uh, to be with you. If our rights come from the government, then they're not rights. They're privileges. It's like a, a spigot of water that the government can turn the water on in good times and turn it off uh, in bad. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to be I think I've told you this. I'm going to be in the Vatican next week giving this lecture uh, on natural rights on this very topic to commemorate the 750th anniversary of the death of St. Thomas Aquinas, which is March 8th, 2024. The idea that by exercising human reason, we can discover the existence of natural rights uh, has been integral to all of Western society. When, when Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, uh, as an intellectual justification for breaking away from England. He did not appeal to the laws of parliament. He did not appeal to anything the king wrote. He appealed to the laws of, of nature and, quote, as he said, nature's God to our natural rights because the founders believed, and it's the, uh, it's the basis for the Declaration and the Constitution, that our rights come from our humanity and our humanity is a gift from uh, God. And what is a right? A right is an indefeasible and permanent claim against the whole world. Your right to live, your right to think as you wish, say what you think, publish what you say, your right to worship or not, your right to associate or not, your right to defend yourself using the same means as the bad guys use and as the government uses and that quintessentially American right, I know you love this one, Jamie, your right to be left alone. Yeah. Get out of my face, government. Your right to shake your hand at the tyrant's fist. These rights come from our humanity. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, uh, because I, I, I love this idea of the, uh, the concept of the consent of the government, uh, the governed. Uh, and, and, you know, once we withdraw consent... Uh, that's an important thing. We don't do that enough 
uh, I, I think, well, in this country. It's uh, funny you should say that, Jamie, because let me just remind your listeners, I know you know this. We've talked about it. This was the linchpin for uh, the moral validity of government. Without the consent of the governed, the government, no matter how benign or, benef- or, or beneficent it may be, is not licit. Jefferson believed this so much, he argued that the government and the Constitution should collapse every generation, every 19 or 20 years, and consent sought anew. Now, that hasn't happened. Jamie, do you know anybody that's consented to the Constitution as it now stands, that it's consented to this monster government that we have? I don't. Uh, The last time it was consented to was 1789. I think we can safely conclude nobody's around today that was around then. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating you say that because earlier when I was reading that one paragraph, obviously, it talked about Dalbert, our creator, and liberty, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. My favorite part of that paragraph is that consent of the government, because as you point out, that is quintessentially the most important part there. Uh, so, so under Jefferson's plan in that regard, how would that have worked? Like, let's say it's every 20 years, the, the government have to seek consent. Would it be the, uh, some kind of vote, or how would that work? Well, at the time, popular voting wasn't the way it is today. Voting was by state, and the states had their own uh, mini regional and county uh, conventions. That's the way the Constitution was ratified. I mean, Jefferson's plan never got off ground. Yeah. uh, Because once the government came into power, it it hung on to that power. I mean, what government would voluntarily give up power every 20 years? That's almost unheard of. It was almost a farce that he suggested it. But I'm reading a book called um, His Masterly Pen, which is a study of Jefferson, the writer. This is a professor at State University of New York. And Fred Kaplan has read, he claims, everything Jefferson uh, ever wrote. And this theme uh, of the consent of the governed and let's reestablish the government is throughout his life, this is not just something he said in 1776, he said this over and over and over again. And even though he himself expanded the size and scope of the government when he was in there, I believe he fervently uh, believed it because the uh, the only other uh, choice would be uh, blood. The blood of patriots shall be shed on the tree of revolution at least once in every generation. Who said that? Not Karl Marx, not Frederick Engels, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Uh, wow. Because if you don't start the government anew, if you don't seek the consent of the governed, the government will grow and liberty will shrink. And that, of course, has happened in spades uh, to the American government. Je- Jefferson, even Hamilton, the father of big government, couldn't imagine the level of government control uh, that we have. The government the framers gave us required our consent to do everything. The government we have now forces us to get its consent to do almost anything. That is what Ayn Rand called an inversion. It is the opposite of the way it was supposed to be. It has taken 200 years, but it has flipped around 180 degrees. Yeah. Do-gooders and well-wishers, uh, Woodrow Wilson, FDR, even even the post-World War II presidents, even Reagan fell for a lot of this. 
uh, have expanded the size of the scope in the name of uh, of doing the right thing. Oh, beware of Murray the do-gooders. Murray Rothbard tells, uh, uh, he's no longer living, but told a funny story. You're at home at night, in your home, relaxing. There's a knock at the door. You open the door. There's a, a guy with the guy with a gun. And he says, give me your money. I want to give it away in your name. And you think, this guy is crazy. I'm going to call the police. He says, don't bother calling the police. We are the police. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. That's great. And one, and one quick thing, too, uh, that, that I find fascinating uh, is, is it seems, and I've thought about this over the last decade or so, because there seems to be this really unusual American obsession with the presidency. And and if I didn't know any better, I would think the founding fathers never intended the executive branch to have this much attention or even for that matter, this much influence, not only on government itself, but on the entirety of the populace. And it seems like we're singularly obsessed with the office of the president. We are. We are. And under every single uh, president, one or two exceptions, um, Andrew Jackson, Grover Cleveland, Calvin Coolidge, these are our presidents who vetoed legislation because they thought it wasn't authorized by the Constitution. But for the most part, uh, the power of the presidency has grown exponentially. The framers envisioned the president, and I'm, I'm relying on Madison for this, who wrote about it, uh, as a functionary uh, who would enforce the laws that Congress has written. Uh, today, uh, the president has become a prince. You know, when uh, I think Barack Obama is the most extreme example because he brought his, brought his basketball playing friends with him. But when Barack Obama went to Europe, 500 people accompanied him from surgeons to PR people, to security people, to advisors on everything under the sun, to two guys that he played basketball. But then I don't think Joe Biden plays basketball, and I don't think Donald Trump did. But the presidency has become uh, regal. We allow presidents to kill. I wrote a piece once called Why Do Presidents Kill? Because they can get away with it, and they can look like uh, heroes. Yeah, uh, We allow presidents to, to fight wars on their own, and Congress looks the other way. And if it's successful, Congress will say, well, we let them do it. And if it's not successful, Congress will say we had nothing to do with it. Um, the presidency is not the first office in the Constitution. The Congress is. Article 1 is the Congress. Article 2 is the uh, is the presidency. Yeah. Uh, but the presidency, the executive branch, has big-footed Congress because Congress has let it do so. I'll give you two examples. Um, the Constitution says no money shall be spent from the federal treasury except that which is expressly authorized by the Congress and recorded in a public ledger. Okay, what's the budget of the CIA? Well, you, you're not going to find that in a public ledger. You're not even going to find the amount in a public ledger. Uh uh, Tony Blinken just committed perjury when he signed documents under oath swearing that it was a matter of American national security and emergency national security that we send $100 million to the government of Israel. What was the national security emergency for the United States, he won't say. Well, by doing this, he was able to bypass Congress and take money from the Treasury that Congress had not appropriated 
and send it uh, to Israel. A, it's crazy because Congress will give Israel whatever it wants. B, it was an act of perjury because he swore under oath it was an an emergency for American national security. All this is done under the authority of the presidency. Yeah, that's crazy. So uh, that must be also why, and I thought this was unusual, and I think it's a nice thing, uh, why the White House is so small. So I'm taking off from Reagan National uh, in D.C. on Saturday after being at CPAC uh, the whole week, and I'm taking pictures from the airplane, and I can't see the White House. I, I, I can see the Capitol. I can see the Washington Monument. But I really actually can't see the White House. And really, when you compare the White House to other kinds of, you know, governmental buildings, it's actually very, very small comparatively. Intentionally, intentionally so by the same person that we have been lauding who designed the White House, Thomas Jefferson. When Jefferson was the U.S. Uh, ambassador to uh, Paris, uh, he spent time at Versailles and thought, my God, how could a human being live in a place like this? It's humongous. Yeah. It's got a thousand rooms, literally. Uh, and when he designed the White House, which he did, he designed it to be functional, elegant, and modest. Yeah. Uh, well, it is. And because there's a building around it, I can't remember what the building is, that actually does look like a palace. It looks like something from Versailles. I don't. I well, can't. That, that's the West Wing. That's the Eisenhower uh, office building. Oh, okay. that's where the entire federal government once was. The Justice Department was once in there. The Defense Department was once in there. Now the Defense Department has the second largest building in the United States, the Pentagon. I'll tell you what the largest is in a minute if you want to know. And of course, the DOJ, which didn't exist until after Ulysses S. Grant was president, has its own humongous building. Jefferson's fear. Government grows, liberty shrinks. Government yeah. grows and grows and grows, liberty shrinks. Yeah. The biggest building in the United States belongs to the NSA. And Ooh. that's their store. That's the National Security Administration, the American domestic spies. Uh, and that's their uh, storage facility in Utah. It is twice the size of the Pentagon. Yeah, that is crazy. That is crazy. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I, I'm, it's, it's pleasing to me that setup about the White House. Real quick trivia thing for you, just to, since we're geeking out on the presidency real quickly. So if you look on the back of a 20, because I've been doing this, I've been doing some research on Jackson and his wife, Rachel. So if you look on, on the back of the 20, you'll see the White House and you'll see these beautiful magnolia trees there. And Jackson's on the 20. But those magnolia trees were planted by Andrew Jackson. The last one died in 2017. But he brought these because his wife, Rachel, who died right before he was inaugurated, uh, he had, he brought seeds from the hermitage up there and planted those uh, magnolia trees there that are on the wow. back of the 20. Didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I always show it to people and they respond like, oh. Thank you. Anyway, so, yeah, I just bore them to death. Uh, so uh, I, I keep making another run at this every time I talk to you regarding the Fannie Willis case. But every time I talk to you, the ensuing days get worse for her and for them. And I keep asking you, all right, is there a possibility this case will be thrown out? I mean, I realize you said last week, no, it doesn't seem likely because uh, the people don't make the case. 
But now it seems like even the the construction of the case and the investigation and uh, and all the players in it are so corrupted that maybe the case itself is. Is there still that possibility or no? Well, you know, I haven't read all the testimony, uh, but the summaries of it that I read, which anybody can read uh, on the Internet, it caused me not to change my mind. But I will say what I've been saying, not from the beginning, but from after her testimony, she should voluntarily withdraw from the case. Uh, A, because a lawyer is supposed to do what's in the best interest of the client, not the lawyer. Her client uh, it consists of the people of uh, Fulton County. Uh, but B, this will also save her career uh, somewhat if she's uh, kicked off the case. Now everybody's all up in arms because the judge, when, when he was a lawyer, contributed to uh, Fonnie Willis's campaign. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. That stuff happens. That doesn't mean that he can't take that political hat off and look at this stuff um, uh, objectively, which he's going to be forced to do this Friday. This Friday, he has set down for the final oral arguments in this issue of should she be removed from the uh, case. Uh, I think if she doesn't voluntarily go, he will remove her and Mr. Wade, and there'll be another team of non-political professional prosecutors ready to go. Yeah, okay. Now, having said that, I have to repeat that I believe that the case is not a very strong one and shouldn't have been brought. I think the worst case for Trump is Mar-a-Lago and the documents. Uh, but this uh, particular case, in my opinion, uh, has no uh, sound uh, basis in law. Nevertheless, it's there and they got to do something with it. They're going to have to try it and let a jury call it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I, I just it just seems like, man, uh, it, it's but just when you look at it just on a common sense level, uh, you're thinking to yourself, man, these people are really like bad people. But again, the law is different. You know, it's a, it doesn't, you know, it can be a lot of bad people prosecuting, but that doesn't mean the case itself shall be dismissed or thrown out. And uh, unless they find something odd about it and, and about the, the makeup of it, but they haven't done that yet, I guess. So we'll see. No, no. Yeah. Now, look, I've said this before. There are really two categories of prosecutorial misconduct. One is the inappropriate personal behavior of the prosecutor. That's what we have here. The other is where uh, the prosecutor infects the case, bribing a witness. Does the government bribe witnesses? All the time. Um, omitting testimony favorable to the defendant. Does the government hold back exculpatory evidence? All the time. Those things, that category, infect and affect uh, the case. I'll give you uh, an extreme example. Daniel Ellsberg. Daniel Ellsberg was, this is the famous Pentagon Papers case. Daniel Ellsberg uh, stole 7,000 pages of documents from the Defense Department where he had a top security clearance. He was a civilian employee of the Defense Department. Gave the documents to the New York Times and the Washington Post uh, this is during the Nixon administration. The Nixon DOJ got a, a trial judge to enjoin the publication. The Supreme Court reached down to the trial court, bypassed the appellate court, and ruled six to three that on a matter of public interest, it doesn't matter how the publisher got the documents, the publisher is free from civil and criminal liability when he publishes them. And the Pentagon Papers were published, and it showed that LBJ and his generals were lying to the public 
the whole time the Vietnam War was going on. Now, what happened to uh, Daniel Ellsberg, point of my story? Ellsberg was indicted and charged with espionage, the theft of government secrets. The Pentagon Papers case does not protect the thief. It protects the publisher from uh, 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 to whom the thief gives the matters to be public, published. During the trial, the FBI broke into, with the knowledge and consent of the prosecutors, Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office and stole his file. Today, I'm holding up my iPhone, they would break into the computer. But in those days, they had to literally break into the office. The judge was so outraged that what the government did, he dismissed the case. The evidence of Ellsberg's guilt was overwhelming. He dismissed the case and the government was afraid to appeal and Ellsberg walked. Wow. That is that is yeah. the most extreme example of prosecutorial misconduct. The, the bribing happens all the, all the time, so much so that some judges aren't even offended by it anymore. Yeah. Well, real quickly, since you're on the whole break-in part, I, I guess I, I haven't done enough research to find out what the Watergate burglars were looking for when they did the break-in. I, I've, I, I've, that's one thing I missed. What were they looking for? Nixon had received um, financial contributions from wealthy, prominent Democrats who were terrified it would become known and that they would be persona non grata in the Democratic Party and might even lose whatever their businesses were. That's what the Watergate burglars were looking for, to seize those records of who the Democrats were to protect them. So the whole thing that resulted in the destruction of a presidency was over vanity and ego. It was not over money, and it was not over who was going to win. I mean, Nixon carried 49 states against McGovern. He hardly needed the Watergate break-in to get uh, to get reelected. Wow, that's crazy. And the water. Yeah, I'm um, playing myself in a documentary uh, about all of this, which will be out uh, very soon. And for the documentary, I had to do uh, a lot of research, including looking at uh, documents involving John Sirica, the judge, and Leon Jaworski, uh, the prosecutor. And it's funny you should raise this issue. I'm I'm up on all of it. So it's it's revisionist history. It's not the history that the New York Times and the Washington Post um, wanted you to believe from that era, but it's uh, it's the history from the documents. The history was written by a guy named Jeff Shepard, uh, who's about my age. Jeff was a 28-year-old, still wet behind the ears, lawyer in the Nixon White House, whose job it was to transcribe the tapes, the Oval Office tapes. Huh. Jeff knows more about this than anybody else. And using the Freedom of Information Act, since Sirica is now uh, dead, since Jaworski is now dead, since almost everybody involved in the case is now dead, he unearthed a lot of these uh, documents showing uh, collusion on the part of the Judge Sirica and Prosecutor uh, Jaworski. Uh, they, they rehearsed things that they would say to each other ahead of time uh, in court, they really, really wanted to uh, to get Nixon. And of course, we know they did. Yeah, it's crazy because I was all of about uh, nine or 10 
when this was all going on, and I was absolutely fascinated by it. I knew all these players. I knew all of them. I knew John Mitchell. I knew Martha Mitchell, that crazy wife of his. And, and yeah. I mean, all that stuff was so fascinating to me. And I was only like nine or ten years old, but I was plugged into it. That's for sure. Crazy times. Yeah, yeah well, I can't well, wait to see this you documentary. Will, you, will soon, you will soon see because this uh, August uh, is the, I guess, the fiftieth anniversary of his resignation. So you will, uh, you will soon see this new documentary and a lot of other uh, PR and revisionist history coming out uh, about it. And I play a very, very uh, small role in the documentary, but it's a role that I, uh, I believe in. I'm not being an actor. I'm being myself analyzing legal documents. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being so disappointed because I actually at one point wrote Richard Nixon a letter and I think they, they sent me something in return. I, I wish I had it. They sent me a whole little thing and a nice little note back, and I just and then then suddenly he resigned. But I didn't. I don't. I don't remember actually being that affected by. It. I just remember like, whoa, that's crazy. He just quit. So anyway, so was- I, I I sent the White House a telegram in the days when you had telegrams, and I said I remember talking as if we were yesterday to the telegram operator. I said I I want to send a telegram to the White House, and she said, well, we've been getting a lot of those, and I. I have to warn you that there are certain things that we're not allowed to put in the telegram. And I said, oh, no, no, this this the White House wants to receive. She said, well, your your, your telegram will be the first one that I've done that the White <laughs> House wants to receive. What are you going to say? And I said, Mr. President, don't resign. The finest steel must know the hottest fire. And this woman, this this uh, Western Union operator, got all emotional. Oh, wow. And uh, and then they sent it. Of course, there was no response. This this was a day or two before he actually did resign. And my parents were yelling at me for doing this and why are you wasting money and why are you getting involved and be a good boy and go out and play baseball yeah. with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. That's great. It, it, that, that sounds so much like you as a kid to send... <laughs> The president, a telegram. It just that does not surprise me in the slightest, Judge Napolitano. No, I didn't think when I got up at four thirty this morning that this is what we'd be. Talking I know. About. I well, that's why I love talking to you. you. Never, you never know, and and you're always so open to anything. And I, I learned so much, and it's a lot of it's just super fascinating. So, what are what's going on on judging freedom? Oh, yesterday I had uh, Scott Ritter on, and he just exploded uh, at Bibi Netanyahu for claiming that the uh, Israeli defense forces are being careful uh, in their pursuit of Hamas. Careful? Oh, my God. They've killed 28,000 civilians, 13,000 of whom are, are babies, and Ritter just exploded. That's posted, and it's gone viral. Today, I have my two military people, which is a, a usual Tuesday, uh, Matt Ho uh, and Karen uh, Kwiatkowski. Um, Matt will analyze uh, the uh, IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, against uh, Hezbollah, which is the next battle coming in the, uh, in Lebanon. And Karen uh, will analyze what remains of the Ukrainian military. Over the weekend, President Zelensky's office announced uh, that 31,000 Ukrainian troops had been killed in the war. 31,000? How do they? How does that explain the 450,000 obituaries and graves 
since the war. Yeah. So the number is exponentially larger than the number President Zelensky uh, has given us. Well, he's been getting a little crabby lately, so there must well, be something his, going on. His government's about to collapse. His military is about to collapse. And when this is over, they've lost a whole generation uh, of young men. They will not have people to drive cabs and operate uh, factories uh, and even be school teachers, a whole generation of young men gone. Wow. Because because Boris Johnson and Joe Biden told Zelensky not to sign a treaty that had been negotiated between Russia and Ukraine uh, in March of 22 in Turkey. Yeah. Anyway, this is what we're going through later today. Joe wanted to be a wartime president is what he wanted to be, I guess. So yeah, how's that worked out? Joe? Yeah, not exactly. Too, not too well. Well, all right, Judge, thank you for your time and your generosity and, of course, your enlightenment. And uh, we'll see you at Judging Freedom. Folks, make sure you go ahead and subscribe because you'll be notified every time uh, the brilliance comes down the pike. So, uh, Judge Napolitano, always a blessing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jamie. God bless you. All right. God bless you, too. He's a great guy and so so fun to talk to him. And I hope... uh, Come springtime, we might have a little surprise for you involving the judge, people. You see? Uh, 314-556-6104. It's common sense. Good morning, everybody. Happy, happy Tuesday to all of you. It's Common Sense Radio. Jamie Allman here with you. And privileged to be so. Allman in the morning. 104.9 The Patriot. And... I have to tell you, I don't mean to be a crab about this, but there's nothing more soul-killing than watching two males eating ice cream cones together. Uh, It's not right. Uh, I don't think grown men should eat ice cream cones. It's not a good look. And uh, seeing two of them eating ice cream cones together and being like completely, totally fake in the process is really actually soul killing. And that's what happened last night with Joe Biden and Seth Myers both eating ice cream together and answering questions about Israeli ceasefires. And Well, I hope by the beginning of the weekend, I mean, the end of the weekend, at least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Licking an ice cream cone. Gee whiz. I mean, uh, that's what we got. By the way, speaking of Biden, so, you know, the no labels people are after Nikki Haley because somebody's got to be. Somebody's got to eat that, right? <laughs> So uh, the no labels people are figuring, well, maybe we could go and uh, get some Nikki Haley. Uh, Nikki Haley obviously is is at this point planning uh, for Trump to lose and will aid and abet him losing if she can. Uh, And so will all the other Republicans. And they won't realize that they believe that if Trump loses, we'll all just go, oh, well, you were right. Let's go back to Mitt Romney. They think that's going to happen. Oh, you were right, Nikki, all along. You told because she's going to be the I told you so candidate, even though she's the one who will partly cause it. Because, uh, as I said earlier, you can mark my words that if Trump loses, 
I will blame Republicans. I will blame Nikki Haley. I will blame Mitt Romney. I will blame most members of the House and most members of the Republican Senate. So I will blame them. And, and unfortunately, that means that the Republican Party will not exist in its current form or in any manageable form if Trump loses. Uh, because it will be the fault of people like Nikki Haley if he does. Uh, so Nikki Haley has a choice to make, though. Is she going to go ahead with that path and, and, and further the destruction of the Republican Party? Or is she going to go with the no-labels people? But see, these two guys with real clear politics, uh, Tom Beaven and Sean Trendy, were talking about this, and Tom asked Sean, well, if she goes with no labels, is this going to hurt Donald Trump? And here's the answer from Sean. You know, the, the problem Would that be is... a problem for Trump if she did? No. And that's the problem with the whole no labels endeavors. I think the candidates who could do it, her, Chris Sununu, or someone like that, have to know in the back of their minds that they're going to pull from center-right suburbanites who would otherwise probably vote for Biden. Um, and, you know, the never-Trumpers. Yeah. And- so that maybe it should be a good thing for her to go ahead and run with the no labels party because she will then secure the victory for Donald Trump. So that's partly why they wouldn't do it. And she's already indicated, well, I'm a Republican. I'm not going to do this. And so that that's kind of I'm, I'm, I'm not going to uh, futz around with this kind of thing uh, because I'm a Republican. But she also knows that if the, if she did do that, that the no labels people are actually going to take more of the namby pamby pearl clutchy baby center right people, whatever those are. Uh, and you know the, the people basically who, uh, if all hell broke loose, you wouldn't want to be in a foxhole with them because they have they just have no positioning, they have no stance, they have nothing, and so it's uh, it's one of those things where they just don't have any any guts, they don't have any stance, they don't have any rudder, and they are rudderless, and so they're not people you want necessarily associate with. Uh, you know, here's, here's somebody you never want to really associate with either. This guy, the killjoy, the ruin, the assassination of a show of a great radio show. Everything was going great until you came along. You wandered in. I'm sorry. I'm actually, uh, getting an ice cream cone right now. If that's all right with you. Uh, Don't tell me you eat ice cream cones. No man should. Yeah, not not in years. Too many calories. Oh, oh look at you watching your your slimming. You watching your uh, precious uh, body form? Are you? Uh, it's something that you really need to do. Ask Vin Gupta; he'll tell you. Yeah, I'll ask Vin Gupta uh, as soon as I can. So, by the way, uh, you you must have really liked that uh, positioning of that lady, uh, that uh, um, Dizzarella, who was on MSNBC telling us that Christian nationalists, oddly enough, they believe our rights come from God and not from government. That must have thrilled you. Well, clearly the rights come from government, and and I don't know what you're talking about. The Supreme Court has settled all this long ago uh, when they explained 
separation of church and state. So but you, but, no, 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 no. But you don't believe then in the Declaration of Independence, which clearly states that we are endowed by our creator. So uh, with these rights that are unalienable. So there's there's uh, so uh, th- th- that's clear that is clear as the day is long and that the government is only there uh, via our consent. The government, the, the government secures our rights, but it doesn't give us our rights. I mean, that seems like a simple concept. You're a teacher, so you can't possibly be teaching anything other than that. Well, the government guarantees our rights, and, and whatever they wrote in the, in the Declaration of Independence or any of other, the other writings of Thomas Jefferson, that's all fine, but it's the government ultimately that has the final say in everything. <laughs> Come on, Mark. No, that's not even true. You, you, it's this, the Supreme Court. Of course it's but, true. But the Supreme Court has not overturned the Declaration of Independence. I mean, it clearly states at the tail end of that beautiful paragraph that our rights are secured by the government and uh, by, by uh, and that, that our, the government is secured by our consent only. So, uh, it, so we, we the government cannot take away rights. It's well, they did take away women's uh, rights, uh, specifically uh, the rights to uh, gynecological uh, uh, protection uh, when they go to the doctor. Uh, we well, know that women, Roe versus black Wade, women, are three times more likely to die in childbirth than white ones. I get that, but, I mean, but, but Roe versus Wade, there wasn't one mention of a constitutional right in Roe versus Wade. You know okay. that, right? Then, then, then why did the woman in Texas who was bleeding out find that no doctor was willing to take care of her because they feared that they were going to be put in jail as a result of overturning overturning Roe v. Wade. Well, no so no, some- no no state, no nobody even pro-life people advocate putting somebody in jail for having an abortion. Well, no, it's not about abortion. It's about women who are dying and and we know that this is going on all over the United States because of overturning Roe v. Wade. You guys are missing the point. It's not about abortion. See, people, that's why I, I, this is a, this is an example of why I tell you folks that the Republican Party and conservatives need to stop talking about abortion. Stop talking about federalizing abortion laws. Stop talking about 16-week federal bans. Stop it. It's going to kill you. Look how lathered up this guy's getting over abortion. That's what you're going to get when you start talking about federalizing abortion laws. I mean, it's it's... It, it, just stop it already! You're killing us here. I'm just yeah. I, they I'm really sorry, are because the women else. are coming after you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm I'm saying that there are there are certainly ways. I mean, Donald Trump had the ultimate victory in getting Roe versus Wade overturned, and that should be it. Republicans then need to shut up uh, and let the states deal with it and everything else. That should be the end of that. We've did it, done that. Have a T-shirt. Let's be quiet now, please. Yeah, but they can't. I in know. fact, now they're going they're going after in vitro fertilization, which tries to create children. So that's hysterical. But how, but and how also is, the next thing the next thing is birth control. How is the de- declaration that you can't destroy a frozen uh, fertilized embryo 
an invasion of IVF? Because by virtue of the way IVF works, there will be embryos that are, are destroyed unintentionally. And, and it, it doesn't matter that people will go to jail for trying to create children. Well, if, if, it's, if it's unintentional, then, of course, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be a jailable offense. Well, it wouldn't be in anywhere but in the United States well, no, no. where the dictator is coming yeah. after us. But, but you, you, intent is always the uh, – is not, not, not always, but, I mean, I mean if you accidentally – I mean, they're not going to sit there and charge somebody with manslaughter or something when you accidentally destroy a frozen embryo. I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, the doctors are all running away. Well, no, they're not. I mean, it's, it's, it's an overreaction, and, and it's not true that that's happening. So, anyway. Well, listen, um, I just want to check in with you. Um, and uh, you're still wearing your mask, which is great. want to make sure that's going on. And so, uh, good to know. We're protecting everybody yep, as you we are. should. By the, by the way, you know that measles and polio are exploding all over the United States now yeah. because of, of you illegals. guys. Because illegals are coming in. They haven't been vaccinated for measles or polio, and they're spreading it around to everybody, and they're infecting the United States of America with their illegalness and their disease. It's, like, it's just like we did to the Indians. We come over here, we gave them all you know, diseases, and they all they died that way. And, and so you know, white people are, are the scourge of the earth, as you pointed out there. Uh, Mark, but now it's the other people who are the scourge of the earth. Anyway, I gotta go, man. I gotta go. I gotta okay, go to break. Catch okay, you later. okay. See you later. That's Mark Casey, people. Unfortunately, yeah, it's true. Polio and the measles. Thank you, illegals. That's what this is all about. Provably true. St. Louis and just basically uh, dump on. A hundred million people in the country with his. With his he is by comments. far the most disgraceful figure in modern presidential history. He's only become more disgraceful since 2016 and since 2020. He is a bubbling cauldron of loathsome traits. You have to be in the throes of some sort of toxic delusion in a toxic cult to believe that Donald Trump has ever been in any sense emotionally, psychologically, intellectually or ethically fit to be president. Yeah, somebody hurt this poor boy. I don't know how it happened, but it did. Have a great day, Alex. Thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Jimmy Carafano back from weather planet he's been on. We'll have that for you uh, tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day. I'll see you in San Diego. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.